Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We often think about the work life of a Christian, but not too often about the leisure life. We need to remember that Jesus is the bridegroom and offers times of celebration. But we also need to discern between destructive and good leisure. You're listening to The Life of Leisure and the Christian Life by Reverend Peter Yonker. According to how um, people define these things, summer doesn't start until uh, June 21. But it's 90 degrees outside, school's out, people are starting to go to their cottages, and people are taking vacations. So as far as I'm concerned, summer has already begun. And summer is, of course, the time of leisure, the time where people make plans to take some time off. So for this Sunday night, on the first Sunday of June, we will hear a a sermon about what the Bible has to say about leisure. And I have two texts for your consideration, one from Matthew and one from Amos. And let's start with the one from Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, I will read verses 14 through 17. John's disciples came and asked Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making everything worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. And now over to the book of Amos for a word that is a little different. Here's Amos talking to the wealthy people of Israel. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Calna and look at it, and go from there to Great Hamath, and go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster, and you bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and you use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile and your feasting and lounging will end. This is the word of the Lord. On Friday afternoons across North America, people are at work and they're trying to stay focused, right? Friday afternoon, they're trying to stick with their work, trying to see it through. But like most people, their minds are already turning towards the weekend and they're starting to imagine their leisure. And as they try to finish their work and focus on it, sometimes they get up from their desk and wander over to another cubicle or to another worker and they say, hey, what are you going to do this weekend? 
And when they ask that question, they're not expecting a work answer. They're not going to say, oh, I'm going to take on this spreadsheet and I'm going to do this work. No, they are asking about leisure. Are you going to go to the cottage? Are you going to go to the beach? Are you going to play some rounds of golf? Are you going to go camping? Are you going to go on a hike? Are you going to go kayaking? Are you going to do something fun? We all want to hear about each other's leisure because we love our leisure. We North Americans, we human beings, we love our leisure. We dedicate an incredible amount of imaginative energy and time planning out our leisure and thinking of ways we can use our leisure. And not only do we spend a lot of time making these plans, we spend a lot of money too. Between the toys we buy and the money we pay for trips and the money we pay for other leisure activities, we spend tons of our money on leisure. I was reading something pre-pandemic, and I think the number was $3.2 billion a year worldwide just on tourism. So tremendous human energy going towards the planning and the doing of leisure. But even though leisure is a big part of our life and recreation is a big part of our life, I don't think we think theologically about it very much. If I were to corner you and ask for a theology of leisure, I think most of you uh, would be unsure. We do much better with work, right? There's lots of books written on the theology of work, lots of books written on vocation. We know all about the Calvinist work ethic. As far as I know, there's no such thing as a Calvinist leisure ethic. Why is that? There should be. Leisure is a gift of God. Does Scripture have anything to say about it? We need some reflection on our leisure time and our play. Well, let's do that this evening. And maybe the place to start is to recognize how often the world's promise of entertainment and recreation and leisure, our experience does not live up to the promise. Often our experience of leisure does not deliver what we are hoping for. And sometimes we feel worse after our leisure than before. Not always, but in certain cases we do. I often look forward in my leisure to watching a Detroit Lions game. I'm a football fan. I don't get to watch football very often because it's on Sunday. But once in a while, there's a time when I don't have to work and I set aside three hours to, to watch the game. And I will confess to you that quite often, especially if I watch the game by myself, I feel worse after the game is over than before. And, and some of you are laughing because you think that's because the Lions lose, and that's true. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Even when they win, sometimes I have this feeling, I, I just sort of a blah in my spirit. Like I'm not really relaxed. I'm just sort of numb. Leisure can be bad for your spirit, and Amos knew this. Amos was living in a time which is one of the wealthiest times for the people of Israel. They had lots of disposable income, and they used it for leisure activities. And I think you heard, Amos was not particularly impressed with those leisure activities. In chapter 5, he's just criticized the Israelites because they're putting on all these fancy worship assemblies, but they're not taking care of justice and taking care of the poor. That's the passage where he says, I'm tired of your assemblies. Let justice roll like a river and righteousness like an ever-loving stream, an ever-flowing stream. And now he turns his criticism towards their leisure. 
he says to them, and you can translate his criticisms very easily into the modern world. He says, Alas for you who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on couches. And he could just as easily say, Woe to you who spend big bucks to have your dining room redone and spend all day lounging on your designer couch and flipping through channels. Amos says, Alas for those who dine on choice lambs and fattened calf while drinking wine by the bullfell, which could be for our day. Alas for you who go to restaurant to restaurant to restaurant and spend endless hours talking about the refineness of the food and the excellence of the wine. Amos said, Alas for those who strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. In our day, that could be, Alas for those of you who get lost in your headphones and while your days away on music and concerts. Amos says, alas for those of you who use fine lotions, which could be for our day. Alas for those of you who are obsessed with Botox and with day spas and with all the beauty world. Amos does not pull punches. And the words of the prophet make it very clear that there are some ways some pursuits of leisure in our life that do not accord with the way of God's kingdom. And I think if you had to sum it up, I think the things that really make Amos angry and that the kind of leisure that doesn't work for Amos is leisure that numbs you. Leisure that makes you go into yourself and focuses too much of your pleasure on your pleasure and so numbs you to your neighbor and especially your neighbor's need. That's leisure that keeps you from being sensitive to the things of the kingdom of God. That's sort of the negative side, but Scripture has other passages which makes it very clear that not all leisure is bad. In our Matthew passage, some very serious disciples of John the Baptist come and ask Jesus some questions. They're a little gentler than some Pharisees who ask him similar questions in other Gospels. And their questions, and for the Pharisees' accusation, is... We spend all our time serving God. We do nothing but study. We are deadly serious in our pursuits. We are all work and no play. And you guys, you're a bunch of slackers. You eat and drink. You go to wedding parties. You have a great time. What is the matter with you? They accuse Jesus and his disciples of being insufficiently morally serious. And what does Jesus say? He says a long version of lighten up. The bridegroom is here. And when the bridegroom is here and his blessing is in the air, this is a time to enjoy life, to pick up the good things and dance. There will be a time for mourning in this world. There are times when Jesus does not come to us as the bridegroom. He comes to us as the suffering servant. And in those times, we move towards those who are in need. We walk beside him as the suffering servant and we stand beside those who are in trouble and we share their burdens. But there are also times when he comes to us as the bridegroom, when he showers us with grace, when he reminds us of his goodness. And those times it is right and good that we should feast. Jesus tells both kinds of stories about both kinds of comings. Think of two different parables. The parable of the sheep and the goats. The parable of the sheep and the goats, who does Jesus come as? Not the bridegroom, he comes as the poor. He's the naked. He's the stranger. 
When Jesus comes as that person, you have to move towards them and suffer with them and help them. But think of another parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Who is Jesus in that parable? Or who is the father in that parable? He's the one calling the son, the older son, come on in, join the party, put on a hat, dance with us, eat with us. Grace abounds, let us feast. So there's destructive leisure and there's good leisure. How do we discern between the two? Let me try to give you some basic guidelines as I conclude this sermon. First, thinking about leisure begins with an understanding that leisure time is not just neutral time. It's not sort of an empty space of time in which you can do whatever you want. As Reformed believers, there's no such thing as empty time in which you can do whatever you want. But the world, when they talk, sometimes makes it sound like that's what leisure is, right? This is the, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas school of leisure, right? Yeah, you're in leisure time, you just go ahead and let off all your steam and it doesn't matter, it won't touch the rest of your life. That is false. The things we do in our leisure are spiritually powerful and spiritually formative. They change us. And we know that that's true for kids, right? We know that kids need to play. That's part of their formation. My wife, as you know, is a kindergarten teacher. And she has noticed and experienced over her time as teaching kindergarten that there's less and less play in kindergarten. Academics are getting pushed down. Teachers are nodding. This is happening. Academics are getting pushed down. You want to learn math, you've got to learn to read by the time you're out of kindergarten. And parents are asking for this. They're saying, you know, I want my kid subtracting two-digit numbers and on book three of the Suzuki violin by the time she's six. Right? That's what parents are, are paying for. And so Play gets pushed out, and that's not good because play is formative for children, right? Play teaches them how to deal with each other. It teaches them creativity. It teaches them what they love. It's in play that we find what we love. It's formative. Same thing's true for adults. Our leisure is incredibly formative in making us who we are. And, and here's why I think that's true. When you're working, most of the time you're doing jobs that you simply accept. Someone has given to you a task and you have to do it. But when you play, you're doing things that you choose. And when you choose something, you give your heart to it, right? You see the difference? It's not an accepted chore. It's something that you throw yourself into. And anything you throw yourself into is going to be deeply formative to your heart. One person spends her leisure afternoon casually shopping at the outlet mall and goes home and binges Netflix and drinks three glasses of wine. Another person spends her leisure gardening all afternoon, puttering in the garden and at night has some friends over for cards. I promise you that those two people are being profoundly formed in very different ways. There are no neutral choices. Our leisure time is spiritually formative. And if you look at the Old Testament, you can see God forming the leisure of Israel. Israel didn't have vacations like we have vacations that you could take off any time you wanted. What was Israel's leisure time? It was the festivals. It was Sabbath. 
And both of those things had some free time where you could do what you want, but they were also formative times. God gave structure to those times, right? In the feast times, you would be together, you'd have fun with your friends, but it was always under this, 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 this uh, rubric of, of God's festival where you're remembering the mighty acts of God. Feast of Tabernacles, that was basically camping, right? The Feast of Booths, you remember the trip through the wilderness and you'd all live in these, these huts and the kids would play and it'd be a lot of fun, but it was formative leisure, right? Community coming together, remembering the mighty acts of God. And the Sabbath was the same sort of thing, especially as Jesus taught about it. The Sabbath was a time to do good, a festive day of rest, as the catechism says, and to anticipate the eternal rest of the new creation. And now we're getting to what is the standard of, of what good Christian leisure is. When we really do leisure well as Christians, it is an anticipation. Our play becomes an anticipation of what it will feel like and be like in the new creation. Why is that? Because it is in our play that we, our hearts are completely taken over by the activity that we are taking on. So, when, when we do Christian play, Christian leisure really well, we're doing something that just completely fills our hearts with joy, something that connects us with other people, something that does it in a way that engages God's world and makes us truly grateful for the good things he has given. Something that fills our hearts with joy, connects us with people, engages God's world in a way that makes us thankful for his good gifts and makes us inclined to praise to him. And when that happens in our earthly leisure, that is an anticipation of heaven. What will heaven be like? It will be the place where everything we want will be right and good and joyful. Right now, we always have to watch our desires. Because sometimes we desire the right thing, but sometimes we desire the wrong thing. So we're always sort of on guard. In the new creation, there will be no such guard because the thing we will want will be the good thing. What a joy it will be to always want what is good and wonderful and joyful and just intuitively feel that. When do we feel that in this world? When we play. A person who loves to cook is going to have some family members over at night. She spends all afternoon in her kitchen cooking, which is what she loves to do. It makes her heart sing. And the family comes over, the kids come, they sit at the table and she feeds them the food and they're laughing and they love this food and they say, oh, mom, this is great food. And afterwards they clean up while she sits at the table and drinks a glass of wine and they tell stories and everyone laughs. And what does it feel like? It feels like heaven. Or consider the holy joy of church league softball which I cannot play anymore, both because I'm old and because the rec center is closed. But I remember in my youth, going out there on a Wednesday night and playing with my friends, good buddies, and throwing the ball around, competing hard, but, but really not taking it too seriously if we lost. And our family's coming along and they're sitting in the bleachers and they're talking with each other and you give the kids a buck and they go to the store and they buy all kinds of candy and it's safe and it's fun and the weather is beautiful and the light is, the shadows are long and the, the light is gorgeous. And what does it feel like? It feels like heaven. This is what C.S. Lewis is talking about when he says joy 
is the serious business of heaven. Because in our joy, in our play, is when order and desire come completely together in a way that makes us inclined towards praising our Lord. There will be plenty of days for all of us when the bridegroom is gone. When we will be sad and the suffering servant will be here and our work will be the work of suffering and sacrifice, picking up our cross. But may there be also many days when the bridegroom is here, when his grace is strong and the world is good and we experience the joy that is heaven's serious business. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this world and your grace and your promises. As a context, Lord, where we can enter in and, and be in the world and, and rejoice and be thankful and know that you are God and know that you are good and know that despite all that is hard and evil in this world, that your joy is going to win in the end. Lord, make us joyful people. Teach us when to work. Teach us when to rest. And when we rest, may we do it with your joy. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.